The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. It's Trent Alexander-Arnold to win the corner in! Without doubt, the perfect week for the Reds. Finished in style at Anfield and with football that's out of this world at times. Arsenal, Porto, Southampton, none of them could handle the Liverpool machine. I'm Steve Hoversall, it's the Red Agenda and I'm in the company of James Pearce and football writer Stephen Beacom as well. Uh, the last three home games resulting in a 10-0 aggregate scoreline is just Amazing to watch James at the moment. Yeah, been a, a fantastic response, hasn't it, to, to that miserable defeat to West Ham before the before the international break and um Klopp has certainly triggered the, the reaction we all we all hope to see and uh Saturday against Southampton was a, a continuation of that. Going forward again, you know, Liverpool played some absolutely breathtaking stuff and it was there were times when it was so one sided it was hard to believe it was even a Premier League game because Southampton were so hopelessly outclassed um, and they were fortunate in a way I think that with the schedule as it is Liverpool effectively declared after an hour you know I think I think if they had to put their foot to the floor it could have been anything it could have been seven or eight but um, he was obviously able to take off key personnel give them a breather ahead of the derby on Wednesday yeah I know, I know Klopp afterwards was was keen to kind of highlight the chances Liverpool did cough up to Southampton because I think you know although they did keep a clean sheet I think that was probably more down to the the brilliance of Allison than because they looked incredibly solid, but you know the the positives far far outweighed the negatives, and um, you know especially then to see Chelsea drop a couple of points twenty four hours later, uh, a great weekend all round. The absolute perfect weekend. I, I know Stephen can't wait to talk on this pod today. He came on smiling away. The wider picture, and James just referred to it then that the West Ham defeat. It felt like a mini crisis at the time, didn't it, Stephen? But if you look at the Liverpool side, they're an absolute goal machine. 20 matches, and they've scored three or more goals 12 times. And they've scored 39 goals after 13 games. I mean, we talk about breaking records, but this is just getting preposterous in terms of their, their ability to find the net. They are the most entertaining football club in the world, no doubt about it. One of the great things that we've watched under Jurgen Klopp is how they respond to a defeat or a setback. And just look what they have done. They've obliterated the opposition since that West Ham defeat. And against Southampton at the weekend, it really was men against boys. And I always love it whenever Liverpool do the business against Southampton. Because um, years and years and years ago, Southampton used to do Liverpool a few times. So um, uh, payback. But the other factor is we took their best players. <laughs> and when you think of people like Mane, Virgil van Dijk, Lalana. Quick story, boys. Um, I know Stephen Davis, the Northern Ireland captain, very well. And um, he obviously played at Southampton with all these guys. So uh, every time Liverpool would sign a Southampton player, I'd be on to Davo and say, right, what's the score here? How good are these boys? Because you know the, the situation. It's different coming from a smaller club with respect to Southampton and being able to deliver a big club like Liverpool. So um, he was very friendly with Lalana, And he said Lalana is going to be brilliant on the pitch and off the pitch. In terms of Mane, he said that Mane is just electric and he was proved right in that. And when I asked him about Virgil van Dijk, he said Virgil van Dijk will take Liverpool to a new level. 
And that's exactly what has happened. And wasn't it wonderful to see Van Dyke score that absolute beauty on Saturday against Southampton in front of the cop? I think that was my favourite moment of the day. But as James said, what a brilliant weekend because um, it's not often that you want Manchester United to get a result. But thankfully their result went our way in terms of Chelsea and although Manchester City beat West Ham I think we can safely say that if this goes to goal difference this title race Liverpool are going to be champions Right let's talk about the the goals the Premier League's top scorers are Mo Salah Sadio Mane and Diogo Jota but it, but it was the Jota show at the weekend against um, Southampton and quite often James I think it's fair enough to say that he doesn't get put on the same billing as the other guys Mane Salah Firmino. But I think consistently he's proving that actually the bigger picture shows they're all pretty much on par now, aren't they? All four of them. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest compliment you could pay Diogo Jota is that no one really talks about it being a front three anymore. I think he, he's made it a, a quartet because you know, he may have been viewed as as kind of backup when Liverpool did that £45 million deal with with Wolves in September 2020, but I think no one looks upon him as backup anymore. You know, he he starts games on absolute merit. You know, not just because Roberto Firmino is out injured at the moment. Of course, Firmino's absence has has increased the responsibility on his shoulders, and you know he's embraced that with you know I think it's five five goals in his last five starts. But um, yeah, he's been sensational, Jota. When you, I think I think sometimes people can underestimate how big the step up is, even if. You know, I know he was already a Premier League footballer, but the pressure and expectation of being a Liverpool player is far, far different than than playing for Wolves week in, week out. And you know, he, he just hit the ground running, didn't he? He looks every inch a Klopp player. You know, I remember Pep Linders last season describing him as a as a pressing monster. You know, Klopp saying that he was very easy to like and that that had helped him settle in really quickly with the group because I think you know, I think everything about Jota, it just fits. You know, there's no ego. He's very humble, you know, incredibly dedicated to his profession. You know, you, you get that work ethic from him, but also the the quality and abundance. And and the big thing for me is he's a, I mean, he's, he's a poacher. I mean, you look at his goals so far this season, I think they've all been, you know, around that kind of six to 12 yards out in between the posts. He gets himself into great areas. And of course, being a number nine in this team at the moment, is an absolute dream with the the service you get, and I think probably the only frustration for him at the weekend was that he didn't walk away with the match ball under his arm because um, you know, I think there were you know probably two openings when he probably should have scored one when I think it was just before half time when Mo Salah was kicking himself for for a misplaced pass that should have given Jota a tap in, and then that one second half when Andy Robertson's you know fantastic delivery, I think it was Jota at full stretch turned it over the bar, so. Um, so yeah, he's he's been a brilliant signing for Liverpool, and you know when, when you look at what's ahead of us with Afcon on the horizon, his importance to the team is only going to grow, and you know Liverpool need him to keep delivering. Yeah, it's going to be huge, isn't it? Uh, I should at this point direct listeners check out James's piece on Diogo Jota from the weekend, and actually before we started the pod, Stephen was just saying the best pieces are the ones that actually tell you something you didn't know. So straight away, when you dive into this Jota piece without, well, I'm, I'm going to ruin it for everyone, basically. But James, you, you reveal the fact that he's an absolute mad FIFA nut because I was thinking, what's that celebration about? He's, after the first goal, he just sits on the floor. And I was thinking, is he, is he mimicking something? I mean, did, did you know straight away what it was? <laughs> Only from doing an interview with him about midway through last season where... Um, 
we talked about his love of, of esports then and how when he's not playing football, his biggest hobby is to is to be on the computer, but whether it's you know football manager on the one hand or or playing FIFA on his PlayStation. And um not only does he play, but he plays at a ridiculously high level to the point where he set up his own esports team and he plays against and beats the best gamers in the world. Like he, you know, it's I think he, he won the, the inaugural E Premier League tournament before he came to Liverpool when he beat Trent Alexander-Arnold actually in the final. But then, yeah, since then, I mean, I must admit, it's like a foreign language to me, some of this, because I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not a gamer. But um, I learned on good authority that at one point earlier on this year, he was ranked number one in the world with his performances on on FIFA. And he was he's been involved in a, a kind of a FIFA... 22 global series where he'd, he'd reached the fourth round of the qualifying um, but he was scheduled to play his next game on on Saturday afternoon so he had to he had to politely message his his opponent and and say I'm sorry I can't make it you know the the, uh, the win belongs to you because I've, I've got to go and lead the line for Jurgen Klopp at Anfield I bet he was furious. Stephen, I, I don't take you for a gamer. I bet you know nothing about esports, do you? <laughs> uh, but, but, but you could probably appreciate the beauty of Diogo Jota at the moment. Well, I'll tell you what, Steve. Um, now that James has outlined all of that about um, Jota, my son's going to love him even more. I'm not a gamer, but my boy is, like, you know. So um, maybe he'll, he'll be playing Minecraft next. Who knows? But yeah, Jota is class. He reminds me in many ways of Robbie Fowler. And that is uh, the highest compliment I can give him because um, when Fowler was in the box and the ball came to him, you knew that this was going to end up in the back of the net. And I have total faith whenever Jota gets the ball in those areas that he is going to deliver just like Robbie did all those years ago. Maybe the Liverpool dressing room will start calling him God. Who knows? The, the modern day God. But yeah, he's absolutely fantastic and what a signing he has been. He did come in under the radar and I think he was slightly underrated even understated but my goodness he's been an overwhelming success you know and when you look at his numbers and then you compare them to Salah and Mane it just shows you they're all on similar levels these three and then you've got Firmino to come in as well so it's an exhilarating attack that Liverpool have right now so entertaining as I said before and every time they step out onto the pitch you think goals are coming and Jota is a mainstay of the team right now. And Stephen, you've got to think, he must have had, or he must still have, some huge inner confidence. Because when he moved, and you said it was under the radar, look, no one thought Diogo Jota was coming to Liverpool. So when he moved, he came with the personal assumption and confidence that actually he could make a dent in these front three. And actually, look what he's done. I think when you look at his ability with his feet and his head... You know, on the pitch, that's phenomenal. But it's off the pitch that makes the truly great footballers. Whenever they can come into a side like Liverpool and think, you know what, I deserve to be in this team alongside Salah and Mane. And Jota clearly has that mindset. And that will be um, manna from heaven for someone like Jurgen Klopp, who loves his players to have personality, to have that drive and to have that inner belief. And Jota's got it all. And I just hope that he continues to go from strength to strength. Because... James pointed out the African Nations tournament, it's going to take away two superstars from Liverpool up front and Jota is going to become even more important to the football club then. AFCOM, it's going to be the buzzword for the next few weeks. You're going to write thousands of words about it, James, I'm sure. Do we know anything about Salah 
and Mane. And actually, when they will need to go, are they going to miss the Chelsea game? Is, is the Leicester game at the end of December even a question mark? Have we got any idea? Well, Klopp was asked about this after the game on Saturday in relation to that, that fixture against Chelsea at, at Stamford Bridge. And, and Klopp said that the, the talks are ongoing at the moment. I think there does seem to be a bit of a grey area in terms of when the players will link up with their international associations. I mean, there was a piece on The Athletic recently by Adam Leventhal talking about how you know, the rules, I think, state that you know, they have to be released. I think, it's, I think it's seven days, I think he said, before their opening game. Not massively clear what that means seven days before the tournament starts or seven days before that individual country's first game. So, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying Liverpool will be doing everything they possibly can to to keep hold of Salah, Mane and, and Naby Keita as well for that, that Sunday, the 2nd of January down at Chelsea because you know that that is already looking absolutely huge, isn't it, in the context of this season? So, so, um, so still a possibility. I mean, I think we'd all yeah, written that yeah. off, but... No, I think you know Klopp said that it is still up in the air and it's still open to discussion. Clearly, that's something that will be that will be firmed up in the next in the next week or so. You know, I think I think there's only other was there two other I think Premier League games scheduled for January. I think Brentford at home and and Palace away. But even so, when you look at the the fine margins that are likely to define things at the top this season, you know, if if Liverpool could keep hold of them for that Chelsea game, it it would be huge. Imagine the scenario. A much-loved and inspirational leader has announced his intention to take a career break and you need to find someone just as tactically astute and charismatic, but perhaps without the glasses and the teeth. Well, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else, and LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They've even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk. W-L-K to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, let's come back to the, the Southampton game and the first shot to goal. The architect, very much of it, was, was Andy Robertson, who I think needed to put on a big display, maybe even personally for himself. I was watching uh, Michael Richards on Match of the Day, Stephen. He he said that he was, you know, Robertson was almost saying, I'm one of the best defenders in the world, best attacking defenders. Um, and the link-up play that he showed to actually set Jota up was just brilliant. Absolutely outstanding. The last time I was on, boys, I talked about um, Robertson coming off the bench and looking really, really lively. Boy, did he put on a show on Saturday. What Robertson does is give Liverpool an incredible outlet down the left flank. He runs like there's no tomorrow, and plus he can deliver from crosses. And his link-up play with Manny is just exceptional. You know, he's a very intelligent footballer, I think, Robbo as well. And he's vital in the dressing room too, because you know, you just know 
that he's going to be talking to the players, motivating them, and having a fully fit, a fully firing Robertson in the Liverpool team makes such a big difference because not only I know Simicast has done really well. He really has and he has to be commended. And in many ways maybe Robertson's been looking at that and thinking, you know what? I've got a challenge on my hands here and I have to deliver a hundred percent and big performances week in, week out. But it was noticeable that Klopp did say that Andy Robertson is his number one left back, come what may, whenever Andy's fit and um, ready to rock. And I thought that was um, a big statement. And fair play to Andy Robertson. He backed it up. He's a Scotland captain. He could be taking them to the World Cup. 2022 is going to be a big, big year for for Andy. And I've no doubt that um, 2022 can be a big year for him in a red shirt as well. I have a funny feeling that um, on Saturday... He um, set a standard that he's going to be intent and keeping for the rest of the campaign. And that's great news for Liverpool because you've got Andy Robertson up one flank, Trent Alexander up the other. Opposition teams won't know whether they're coming or going with those two flying up the wings and um, causing havoc. So um, brilliant to see him back on form and long may it continue. And he's a huge cop favourite. It only takes him to make a five-yard run for them to be singing that song. He loves it, and I think he gets inspired by it. And um, I think he's one of those players that over the past three to four seasons has made just a, a monumental difference to Liverpool and where we're at right now. Yeah, you only had to see him punch in the air for the, for the assist for the first goal, see how much that meant. But when the fullbacks are firing, it's it's something else. James, I, I, I walked out of Anfield with Sammy Lee, who is a regular. He doesn't, doesn't work in there, but he comes and watches the game still. And I, t- I said, Sammy, you played in some brilliant sides what you're watching at the moment, is it comparable? And Sammy's response was, I don't think we ever played anything to this standard. He said, it's frightening, isn't it? The, the way they move off the ball, the energy. He said, I, I think this is, this is arguably some of the best football the club's ever seen. Yeah, well, do you know what? Sammy Lee knows more about football than any of us could ever possibly gather in our, in our lifetime. So, you know, he's a, a fantastic judge of that. And I, I think he's right. You know, you can only go on what you've seen with your own eyes. And I always think, you know, Stephen talked about it on the podcast recently, that sometimes you do have to take a step back and appreciate what you're witnessing because you can get so kind of stuck in the, the kind of the hamster wheel of like on the straight onto the next one. What about the next one? And, you know, what about, you know, what about Chelsea? What about Man City? Is there enough squad depth? What about the Africa Cup of Nations? You know, what about the injuries? Well, hang on a minute. We're, we're witnessing something truly, truly special that, you know, when you when you look at what we've been treated to in recent years and then already this season, when you think about the doubts in pre-season about, you know, have Liverpool done enough business? Are they actually equipped to challenge as impressive as Liverpool were in the back end of last season? It felt pretty kind of attritional at times, didn't it? You know, dragging themselves over the line into that top four finish without any really showcasing the fluency of the of the title winning season. But then, yeah, when you look at some of that football they played on the weekend, it is sensational. Just the sheer number of chances they're creating, you know, fellow Premier League teams made to look so ridiculously inferior. It is an amazing time to be a Liverpool fan. And um, yeah, it still still baffles me slightly when you still see people moaning and worrying about squad depth and the January window and all the rest of it and you think do you know what you know who knows maybe Liverpool won't have enough enough depth this season maybe you know maybe they will come up short but do you know what what we do know is it's going to be an amazing journey along the way and um 
you know, what a sensational team that Klopp has put together and just the whole the whole philosophy and the way they go about it, I think, is just just so so refreshing. And you know, there's there's no better sight for me than when this Liverpool team's in full flow. Totally agree. There's always going to be some fans where the, the glass is half empty, isn't there? We should say for all the actual chances Liverpool made, there were some big opportunities for Southampton. And huge credit once again to Alison Becker, who's having one hell of a season, um, Stephen. Yeah, there were questions after the West Ham defeat, but um, all you have to look at is how Alison has responded. The clean sheets are racking up. And in terms of this Liverpool football club team right now, Mo Salah is widely considered the, the best footballer on the planet. I can't remember. I certainly wasn't alive the last time that British football could seriously argue that, yeah, the best player in the world plays in Britain right now. We obviously loved Kenny Daglish and Stevie G. They were iconic figures. But throughout the world, they probably weren't seen as the best in the world whenever they were playing. Mo Salah is. Virgil van Dijk is without question the best defender in the world. And you could argue that Alisson is the best goalkeeper in the world. I actually believe that Fabinho is the the finest defensive midfielder around. So think about that spine. It's Fabinho. Who, throw Trent in. Trent as well. Andy in. Yeah. And throw. <laughs> we, we could if there was a world eleven, half of the players would be a Liverpool um, in the Liverpool side. Oh, you um, nailed it. But that, that's that's the greatness that we're talking about here. Four 0 against Southampton. It could have been eight. Beat Manchester United five 0 It could have been ten. Went to Watford and won 5 0. That could have been 10. Just beating teams like um, uh, they're like non league outfits. It's incredible to watch. And the part that Klopp has played in this can't be underestimated at all. We love to see the phenomenal footballers that are out in the pitch week in, week out at Liverpool. But without Jurgen Klopp, I don't think it works. Because um, what Klopp has done is. In many respects, given Liverpool Football Club its heart back, its soul back, and it's brought trophies back, big, big trophies, which is what Liverpool's all about. Every Liverpool Football Club fan should think right now just how great it is to have a manager like Jurgen Klopp at the helm, because he won't be around forever, and then Liverpool are going to have to look at starting all over again in many respects, because some of the players will have will have gone by then as well. So... Klopp deserves all the praise in the world. For me, he is the best manager in the world as well. So he can manage that world team that I'm talking about. Right, we'll leave, we'll leave the Southampton game. They've got two other big things to talk about. We'll talk Merseyside derby and the, the sight of Rafa in the Everton dugout in just a moment. But we'll go to James's piece on Daniel Agger. Now, just a huge fan favourite and... Struggled massively with injuries, didn't he? Didn't massively fulfil the potential that we all knew he had at, at Liverpool because of those injuries. So you you've been to catch up with him. What is he doing now, Daniel? Yeah, it was uh, it was a great trip. He's he's manager of um, a second tier team in Denmark called um, HB Kur. I think is how you pronounce it, K O G E. But Kur, I think that was how the locals told me. Um, so yeah, midway through his his first season in management, they're in mid table at the moment, hoping to secure a top six finish, because the way the league works over there, the twelve team league divides into two, and then the top six play each other again in the second half of the season to to battle for promotion, and then the bottom six 
battle each other to avoid relegation. So, um, do you know what, it's, it was an interview that was about two years in the making because um, always got on well with Daniel when he was at Liverpool. He's just a fascinating guy. You know, he doesn't he doesn't do much media, but you know, similar to, similarly to when he was at Liverpool, when you could get him, he was always fantastic value because he's a real deep thinker, quite intense but incredibly knowledgeable. And and the other big thing is he speaks from the heart. You know, you 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 ask a straight question, you get a straight answer with Daniel. And there was you know he was very generous with his time. Spent an afternoon with him, then went back to the the stadium the following night and watched them watched them win three 0 and covered a large amount of ground right from because you know as a player he was always adamant that the day he stopped playing he would walk away from football for good he just said you know you won't see me again I've got other interests outside of football so then you know the 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 first question was obviously well what what are you doing here because whenever we talked you always said this was not for you he was living in a you know a multi million pound villa in the foothills of the mountains overlooking Marbella with views of Gibraltar and the African coast and absolute luxury with, you know, film stars and pop stars as his neighbours. But there he was in the, the rain and the cold of Denmark overseeing a training session because he said, you know, despite everything, you know, he felt empty and unfulfilled that he needed, there was a void in his life after pl- stopping playing football that he needed to fill, and this is helping to fill it. And you know, it was a conversation with Stephen Gerrard that helped convince him. Um, Gerrard said to him, "You know, you know, Daniel, I know you you've never been keen on the idea, but I promise you, you would love it." And so far, so good. It's going to be fascinating to see where that journey takes him. I still think Sammy Hoopier and Stefan Honcho were the, were the best centre half pairing we've seen for years for Liverpool. But if he'd stayed fit, there, there was a great compliment between him and Jamie Carragher, wasn't there? Yeah, brilliant. I think, and I think, and I think you're right because I think, you know, obviously Hippier and and Hencho's played played a, a large amount of games, and they together. I think the Agger Carragher combination for me was just about as perfect as a centre back combo could be, but it was just a shame that it was, you know, it was constantly kind of like interrupted by by the injury issues. I mean, when you think that that Daniel Agger was a Liverpool player for what, eight and a half years and he played 232 games, you know, that kind of shows you the issues that he had to contend with. And, you know, and I think that takes a massive mental toll on a player because, you know, you only have to look at, you know, the, the initials YNWA tattooed on his knuckles to appreciate what the club and what the city means to him. And, you know, he had some great stories about living in Liverpool and, you know, two of his three kids were born in Liverpool. His wife loved it here. You know, it, it meant everything to him. And it really hurt him having those absences from the team and not being able to to fulfil his potential. Because, you know, he, he would admit that himself, despite the fact he, you know, he was twice Danish Footballer of the Year. He won a title with Bromby. He was played in the Champions League final for Liverpool. 75 caps for his country. But... Someone of his caliber should have achieved a lot more as a player. You know, he he's very honest about that, and you know, and I, and I think he certainly regrets calling it a day as soon as he did. He retired at thirty-one. When you think Martin Skirtle, who he played alongside, is still playing at thirty-six, and I, and I think that was another reason why he went down the coaching route because he had that nagging feeling of kind of unfinished business with football. But yeah, I mean, so many happy memories of Agger as a player. You think about that goal from Gerrard's free kick against Chelsea in the in the semi-final in 2007 that you know ultimately helped Liverpool reach Athens and the pile driver against West Ham, which I think was his first goal for the club, about 35 yards out in front of the cop. Yeah, he was he was an absolute Rolls-Royce of a defender, Daniel Agger. And um, yeah, and it was, it was sad in a way the way things ended for him at Liverpool because you know, he, he talks very honestly about 
how his relationship with Brendan Rodgers deteriorated. And he certainly felt let down the fact that, you know, he, he, he could have gone to Barcelona. You know, he, I, I had no idea till he till I spoke to him how close he came to join in Barcelona. You know, in 2012 and 2013, they were very persistent that they wanted to take him to the, the new camp to the point where he said Liverpool had actually accepted a bid and he had the contract right in front of him to sign. And then he said it was only Man City came in, offered more money. Then Liverpool went to Barcelona and said the price has changed. And Barcelona said, well, no, we had an agreement. And then Aga basically said to Liverpool, I'm not going to Man City. I, ref- I will not play for one of Liverpool's rivals, which I think says everything about him as a man. And he ended up staying put. But, it, you know, Rodgers ended up giving him the vice-captaincy in um, in August 2013. Yet, within a couple of months, he was out of favour and... You know, as well as kind of Skirtle and Sacco getting picked ahead of him, Kolo Torre was getting picked ahead of him as well. And he said he never got an explanation off Rogers as to why that was the case. You know, and he said he still wants an explanation. You know, he said he he would still want to see Rogers and, and get that because um, he said you know the way he was treated that that season, I think he was so upset and angry that he reached a point the following season where he went right. I'll go back to Bromby. You know, I think everyone at the time was like, what a strange move for a 29-year-old. You know, 29-year-old who's so gifted. You know, he could have played back in the Danish Super League at the age of 34, 35. But he went, he went back there at 29 when there were loads of other bigger, better offers on the table. You know, almost because he went, you know, do you know what? I'm, I'm so sick of getting messed around. I'll do it my way from now on. And, and of course, you know, for a player that had struggled with his back and had had loads of muscle injuries on the back of his back problem, the cold of Denmark wasn't the best place for him. And, he, you know, he said, looking back, he said if he had a crystal ball, if he'd known the way that Rodgers was going to treat him in 2013-14, he would have made sure that he went to Barcelona in 2013 because he thinks, you know, being part of that team in a less physical league with the climate over there, he, he probably would have kept playing for three, four, five years. So um, such a great fella, Daniel Agger, and you know, it was a pleasure to spend some time with him. Yeah, brilliant footballer, lovely lad, but he's got that that cold Scandinavian stare that, that I think sometimes as you're thinking, I'm not going to mess with him. Uh, right, Stephen, let, let's go to the derby. It's on the horizon. Klopp versus Rafa. Who'd have ever thought that would have happened with with Rafa in the uh, the Everton dugout, which will look rather odd. But there's going to be a personal incentive for Rafa Benitez, despite the fact that his Everton side have been pretty shocking of late. It's going to be really strange seeing Rafa Benitez up against Liverpool because... Um, uh, Rafa Benitez was manager when Liverpool won the, the greatest European Cup final in history. He's synonymous with Liverpool. Obviously, he um, uh, was brilliant in terms of the Hillsborough families as well, and that should never be forgotten, nor will it be. You always thought of him as a red. You never, ever thought that he was going to be a blue. But obviously, he wanted to come back to the Premier League, and um, uh, Everton called him up, and he has gone for it. Now, they started the season pretty decent, but in recent weeks, Everton have gone to the dogs, big style. Losing to Brentford the way they did the other day was, um, uh, it was like a surrender, if we're being honest about it. And um, it wasn't befitting of um, uh, the great Everton sides in the past. But this match, it's, it's obviously got the Benitez factor, but there's so much more to this derby. There's Van Dijk. How can we forget what happened to Van Dijk? At Goodison Park last season, that injury had such a, a big effect on Liverpool's season. And don't forget, Thiago also got injured at Goodison last season. I think those two players who are in particularly good form right now will um, be very eager to produce another big, big performance. 
Well, Stephen Stephen Klopp says it's too physical. This this Merseyside derby. I've never really heard him talking this way about a game. So that's obviously a reference to last season. He said he likes physical football, but this goes beyond it. In my opinion, Steve, Everton play this game different to any other game during the course of the season. And that's an indictment of their players, I would suggest, because they give um, 150% and the tackles are fiercer. Um, Yes, they can be a lot rougher as well. And um, listen, we could talk all day about what happened last season. um, And frankly, it was bang out of order. But Liverpool just have to go there and play their game. If it gets physical, they have to match that physicality and then play their football, which is undoubtedly good enough to to win the derby. It's funny, though, how derbies have changed over the years. The first time I watched a Liverpool-Everton match was back in the 1980s. Ian Rush was playing, was in the cup, um, filled with Evertonians as well as, as Liverpoolians atmosphere it was fierce it was there was real rivalry there but there was good nature as well the last derby i went to was um the curtis jones derby we, i think we can call it that um whenever a, a liverpool second string beat an everton first team in the fa cup again in the cup that day and um i can't even remember hearing an evertonian voice or seeing a blue shirt or anything like that um they were just in their away end so the rivalry, I think, has ratcheted up even more because Everton, frankly, have been a mid-table outfit for far too long. But Liverpool, as I said, they just have to go there and do a job. If they get an early goal, Steve, I think the Evertonians might get in the backs of the players. Maybe if Liverpool can get 2-0 up at half-time, what is that atmosphere going to be like at Goodison? It could become toxic. The Rafa factor will come in. No doubt the Liverpool fans will be chanting Rafa's name if Liverpool are ahead. And then they'll chant Klopp's name even louder. So um, it's going to be an interesting night. But I just hope that Liverpool go in there, be professional as always, and deliver a big result. Because it's a tough old game, as Klopp suggested. And um, if we can get out of there with three points, I'll be very, very pleased. James, have your say... um... On the derby, in in my head, you know, everyone goes on about derbies and levelers, but look, the difference in in levels between these two teams currently is absolutely catastrophic. I mean, this shouldn't really be a game where Liverpool are dragged down to a different level. No, but what I would say is it's been five years since Liverpool have won at Goodison. You know, the last four derbies there have been drawn. I think three of them have been nil-nil, and I can certainly think of a couple of times in that period where you've kind of been licking your lips going to Goodison and 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 thinking that that Liverpool were were streets ahead of their neighbors and that they haven't been able to showcase that on the day so i think as steven said the, the big thing for me is you don't give everton any encouragement i think despite the mess they're in at the moment you know the atmosphere will be good early on you know it will be a bear pit their players will be hurting and smarting after this horrendous run they're on but you just have to start the game well. You have to not make sure you don't get drawn into any of the the nonsense of losing your losing your cool with the atmosphere, reacting at all to any any challenges that come in, because we we all know that if Liverpool play anywhere near their capabilities on the night, they'll have far too much for Everton. You know, I, I watched Everton play Brentford yesterday, and they're almost devoid of of attacking ideas. You know, they obviously missing Calvert Lewin so much. And you know you only have to look at the reaction of their away end after that game to 
to see that there's there's big issues there. We all knew that when Benitez took over there, that you know, obviously because of his previous association with Liverpool, a lot of Everton fans weren't gonna weren't gonna be easily be won over. And of course, you know, with the lack of money to spend combined with the injuries they have, you know, that has contributed to this horrendous run they're on. So um, yeah, this to, to me, it's just a fantastic opportunity to. To, to really go there and, and put on a show because Liverpool, of course, are big favourites. But I think we have said this before in recent years and they haven't got the job done at Goodison. So they just they just need to not get drawn into any of the potential nonsense that, that you can get drawn into on Derby Day. A cautious JP. Uh, look, the red agenda's gone on longer than normal. There's just too much to talk about. Absolutely loads at the moment. But how good are the Reds? It's brilliant, isn't it? Puts a smile on your face. Uh, thanks, as always, to uh, Stephen Beak on Football. Right, if you want to see a lovely picture of Stephen and Jerry Armstrong, go on his Twitter feed. Really nice little picture of those two. Uh, and James Pierce as well. Some great stuff from him on Diogo Jota on the site at the moment. And we'll catch up with you next time on the Red Agenda at the back end of the week. See you then.